All right. Well, this morning, like I mentioned, we're going to be in Psalm four, and uh, yeah, this this psalm is uh, it's interesting. As I was just reading through and just trying to decide which psalm I wanted to to preach on, um, I just kept going back to this one. It's one that I've never uh, preached through before ever in my life, and so I just it was kind of fun to be able to study this this psalm this past week. Uh, I, I have a hard time uh, falling asleep. If you, will. I'm actually a really light sleeper, and so all these storms we've been having, the the lightning and the thunder, and not, it just it, it wakes me up, keeps me up. I really struggle with uh, with that, with being able to fall asleep well and sleep soundly. I've always been that way. A lot of you don't know this, but I was a little bit of a bedwetter when I was a kid, and so my mom and dad kind of hooked me up to a torture device. It was a large uh, alarm. And so every time I would wet the bed, it would go off to, to wake me up. And I, and I had a really hard time waking up. I was such a deep sleeper. And, and, and slowly but surely, I started waking up more and more and more. And, and now I'm the lightest sleeper in the world. And it's very annoying, especially with children. Um, and so anyways, I've, I've kind of been that way then for, for a long time. And I've, and I've struggled with sleeping. But I in particularly remember uh, one time when I was a little boy, um, I went to camp. We used to always go to this camp called Camp Assurance. It was uh, just outside of Georgetown, Illinois, where my uh, grandpa and grandma lived. Um, uh, my grandfather was a pastor down there for for a very long time in Georgetown, and uh, we would go to this camp, Camp Assurance, and and uh, and I don't know. Just as I was kind of thinking about this story, flood of memories came back from from going to camp there. When I mean it was camp, I mean it was camp. There's some some camps you go to, and it's like a I don't even know. It's like a resort, not camp assurance. Camp assurance is a camp, right? You you have cabins, um, but not nice. Uh, you know, they're just block, you know, cinder blocks uh, with old bunk beds. And it's, it's changed now, I'm sure, that they're currently building new and better uh, cabins that that are look very nice. Um, that was not the case. The the chapel, you know, where we'd, we'd go to chapel. It was a Christian camp, obviously, camp assurance. Um there's no walls. It's just like on pillars. It's just, it's just open right to the elements. And so you can imagine it's at night, you're kind of in the woods, the lights are on just bugs everywhere. Right. Um, and, uh, it's kind of funny. Their slogan actually is, uh, since uh, 1949, a fun place, dot, 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 preparing people for eternity. (laughs) It just kind of cracks me up. It does. It does. I I learned a lot there at this camp. Uh, my dad used to speak there a lot. And we would go there. All right. So there's one year I was very young. I was probably fourth grade is my guess. And I was there with a couple of my friends, uh, Kyle Perryman, uh, specifically, I remember him being there and we were, we were best buds in elementary. And, and one night, um, we, we went to chapel and somebody, I think his name was Justin left the lights on. And for whatever reason, the door didn't close or something. And so we go to chapel, it's late, it's dark, we come back to our little cabin, and it is just filled with bugs. I mean, all kinds of bugs, the big cicadas are flying around, there's hornets in there flying around. It was just a madhouse, right, of trying to get all these bugs out. And we're all, you know, we're young, we're, you know, we're we're freaking out. And the counselor, he's like, all right, lights out, you know, quiet, lights out, or, you know, and he starts counting down from 10, you know, 10, 9, there's just bugs, right? Big ones everywhere. And we kind of started to get them. We're frantically trying to get them. We're, we're getting in our beds, you know, zipping up on our, in our sleeping bags as tightly as we can, because we're afraid of these bugs. And, and, you know, counselor's counting down and it gets to three and Kyle looks up where he was in the top of a bunk and he looks up and there was a giant, I mean, a giant beetle, 
not a June bug. I mean a beetle, right? A big one, right? Right above him. And it's three, two. And then all of a sudden he just swats it and the thing goes launching, you know, it launches across the room and it lands uh, in a, in a kind of a sweet justice right on Justin's sleeping bag. I mean, just boom, right on his chest. And, and the counselor says one lights off. <laughs> you can just hear Justin just ah! freaking out, screaming. Nobody got any sleep that night. Uh, as you can imagine, right? It was kind of a, a wild night uh, trying to keep the bugs off of you. Is there a giant beetle crawling on me right now? It's kind of wild. This psalm, though, in particular, actually is about resting. It's about sleeping. And how is it that we can sleep, right? With, with the turmoil in the world, maybe with even within our own homes and our families and everything that's going on, whether that's COVID-related, whether it's related to uh, racial tensions right now in our, in our society and all these different things. How is it that I can even just sleep? How can I rest? And that's what this psalm is about. And it's interesting. Normally, the psalms are all kind of independent. They don't necessarily, you know, link together or anything like that. But this one comes right on the heels of, guess what, uh, Psalm 3. Uh, but Psalm 3 is actually a psalm of, of being awake. Uh, wake me up and God be with me while I'm, while I'm awake. And, and this one is the opposite. This is just kind of a psalm of worshiping and helping me sleep and rest. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at. I've titled this God of my righteousness. So I'm just going to read this. It's a very short psalm. It's only eight verses. So I'm going to read it. Um, I'm actually going to be reading from the NASB uh, today, the New American Standard Bible. I normally read from the NIV. Um, I just thought uh, the NASB is a little bit more uh, literal word for word um, than the NIV. And, and uh, I just like the way this, this one uh, read a little better. So uh, I just want to let you know that. All right. Psalm 4. It says, for the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So starting in verse one, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. But I know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell. In safety. So let's look at this idea of God of my righteousness. It's an interesting phrase. It's actually the only time in the Bible, entire Bible, Old and New Testament, that that phrase is actually used of God, of, of God of my righteousness. We, it's one of actually the Apostle Paul's favorite words. He uses the word righteousness hundreds of times, but using this phrase, God of my righteousness, this is where we find it. So I would just want to talk about righteousness for a little bit. What does it mean? Uh, what did it mean in the Old Testament? What does it mean now? Is something shifted? Is something changed in light of the new covenant in Christ? Well, yes. In the Old Covenant, right? Well, let's just say just a, a simple definition of righteousness. It's really just two words that they jam together to make righteousness. And it was, they take the word for right, and they take the word for just, 
and they go right justness. Okay, it's righteousness. That's that's simply what it means. But in the Old Testament context, this was God keeping his covenant with his people, with Israelites. I was saying he is going to be right. He's going to be just and how he interacts with his people in Israel. In the New Testament, in the covenant now in Christ, that we talk about righteousness of, of goodness or or God has this, this, this standard of perfection and my sin, Romans 3.23, I've fallen short of that perfection, of that glory. And so it's this relationship with God and his standards of right and just righteousness. And so David here says, you are the God of my righteousness. You're the God of, of my righteousness that I can't do this. You alone are right and just. And so therefore my rightness and my justness depends entirely on you, God. God of my righteousness, right? And David has a way of getting ahead of himself. He has a he he has an amazing devotional life where he studies the Bible, just the Old Testament, right? The 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 Pentateuch of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and maybe a couple other passages that had been written, but not a whole lot of of Old Testament text was written, even by the time King David was around. And so he but he he studies it. And he gets it, and he knows there's something more about this God that I don't see and comprehend, but he's going to reveal who he is even more so than what he has now. We see that here of God of my righteousness. So there's something about his righteousness that he's going to, um, it's it's his righteousness, not my own righteousness. So how how does that work? How is God going to do that other than his covenants and, and what he's promised with the coming of a Messiah? We get this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at uh, Psalm 110 of the Lord said to my Lord, of there's some Messiah, and he's going to be in this line, this priesthood forever in the order of Melchizedek. Not, not the Levitical priesthood, not the priesthood of Aaron. Something's going to be different about this Messiah, right? David just, he, he understands something that after he sins, he says, you don't care about the blood of a, of a bull. Right? Blood doesn't do anything, right? These animal sacrifices. He's getting ahead of himself. He's saying there's got to be something more. And that's what he do, he's doing here. That he's constantly kind of getting himself in front of the timeline. And God has to step back and be like, not yet. We're not there yet. It will happen, right? The Messiah will come. My son will come. And he will set my people free. But we're not there yet. But yet when we do get to the New Testament, we get to Matthew chapter 3, we actually have Jesus showing up and saying, I'm going to fulfill the righteousness of God. Okay, so this is in Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 15. This is at the baptism of Jesus. He's there with his cousin, John the Baptist, his older cousin. It says this, And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, the river, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Right? He's saying, I'm not going to baptized Jesus, right? This, you're the son of God. You are the, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Who am I? He even says, I'm not even worthy to entire shoelaces, right? You must increase. I must decrease. He's like, I'm not baptizing you. And then Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, to be right and just fully, to fulfill all that God has commanded and said was going to happen in me and the Messiah. And then John consented and Jesus is then baptized. 
And then again, the Apostle Paul is one of his favorite words in the New Testament. And one of them that's so explicit is in Romans chapter 1, 14 through 17. When we look about this just rightness of God and how that is then given to me, it's imputed, it's, it's given to me because I can't do it. He must be the God of my righteousness, not my righteousness then puts me in a place where God will love me and accept me. I need to accept his righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, all other nations. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. All right, so this the righteousness of God, God of my righteousness, how is that revealed to us now? It's revealed through the gospel, through the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that we have fallen short of the glory of God, of his standard of righteousness. And that only by God himself taking on flesh and living that perfect life comes and lives the way that I ought to live but can't and dies for my sins. And so then when I believe, as the Apostle Paul says here, I put my faith in him, that righteousness then is then now, I'm now clothed in that. Again, I've said this a million times, right? It's what Luther calls the great exchange, where I give my sin and all my punishment to Jesus and he gives me his righteousness. It's a great exchange. He says the gospel of what Jesus has done for my sin, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness, a just rightness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, quoting Habakkuk there. Righteousness. I cannot do it on my own. And David recognizes that here in Psalm 4. You are the God of my righteousness. And then he moves on. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That David here is not saying, God, you, you never helped me. Like, where are you at? He's saying, God, you're always here for me. You have saved me so many times. And now I'm crying out again, but only by your grace only by your grace. And if you choose not to save me, it's okay. That's just, that's righteous. But he says this, you have relieved me from my distress. This is actually, when I was really digging into the, the language here, these are actually terms that are translated other places in the scriptures of, of warfare, that I'm surrounded, I'm distressed, that my enemies completely are surrounding me and they're encroaching in on me. They're getting closer and closer and closer and it says, you have relieved me. You've broken their rocks. You've pushed back their, their barriers. You've relieved me from that stress and the anxiety of that pressure of people moving in on me. It says, you have relieved me of my distress. And he says, now be gracious to me and hear my prayers. And then he's going to shift his focus now. He's going to shift it from the God of my righteousness now to human interactions and understandings. And I want us to be careful when we read these next few verses to read ourselves into the story, but not always be the hero of the story. Let's not always be a man or a woman of honor. Uh, let's not always be the godly individual that God calls for to himself. That I think sometimes we need to read into here. Are we the ones that even though we say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, 
love what is worthless and aim at deception. So I want us to be careful with this. So in verse 2, he's going to say this, O sons of men, how long will my honor become reproach? This is just, I've just... I, I just feel like I can hear my dad saying this, right? Like when you, when you go do something, remember you're my son, you, you know, you're not just yourself, right? You, you, you got my name on you as well. But it's idea of just honor, of doing the honorable thing. And there are people who are going to laugh at you for that, for standing up for what is good and what is right. How long will my honor become a reproach? Or I'm, I'm being insulted. It's actually hurting my reputation to be honorable. And we could fill in the blank to what that means and what that looks like. But to be honorable. How long will you, sons of men, individuals, human beings, how long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? How long will we aim at lies? And we got to be so, so careful with everything that's going on with this pandemic right now, to be so quickly tossed about by hearing this and then hearing that and doing this and doing that, to stay true to what God is teaching. Listen to people, yes. Respect people, love people, listen to people. Let's not be loving what is worthless and aimed at deception. Then he uses this word, Selah. It's kind of an interesting word because we actually don't know what it means. Um, and that's why it's just translated. It's just that's the Hebrew uh, um transliteration is what that's called that it's just that's how it's pronounced in hebrew selah and so but nobody knows what that word means there's um this is a psalm 31 of the 34 if i'm remembering of the psalms that have selah in it start off with that phrase uh to the choir master and, and to the chorus master and so that's actually uh to the choir director on stringed instruments a psalm of david that when you get to a psalm and it has that little heading that's actually part of the scripture like that wasn't like added by individuals later on to say, oh, this was a Psalm of David. That's actually in the, in the Psalm. So just, just FYI. Selah though here is kind of the same thing that it's kind of this, it's added in between uh, in these Psalms from the, to the choir master. And we don't really know what it means, uh, but most likely it was a, a musical interlude or just a pause, a break in thought, um, a pause in the music. Right. Um, and so that, that's most likely what it means. But again, we don't really know, so I'm going to put a lot of weight in it. But it seems to be that, to just stop, think. Well, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Stop. Just hear the instruments. Just meditate on these words. He says, but no. And again, he's talking to, talking to us. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And then in verse four, he's going to say, tremble and do not sin. Tremble and do not sin. This should maybe uh, bring up to mind a, a pretty well-known passage that the apostle Paul talks about. Of, of don't let the, the, the sun go down in your wrath. He says, be angry and sin not. I mean, it's the exact same thing here. Tremble, it just simply means to rage, to rage against sin and yet not sin. And again, we have to read ourselves into this psalm that where am I? Yes, he is a God of my righteousness, but am I still pursuing things that are worthless and lies and deceit, deception, idols that are not God, that are replacing God, that we should rage at sin and then not sin? 
I was able to find a, an old hymn. We've never sung it. I just found this by some guy I've never heard of before. He was a pastor up in Boston back in the mid 1800s. Uh, J.B. Water, Waterbury, I think is how you would say his name. He says this. And, and what's interesting about this hymn is it, it sounds manipulative, okay? But, but I, so just let me get through it, though. Sinner, is thy heart at rest? All right, so again, just keep this, this hymn, this psalm in mind as we're reading this, right? How long will you love what is worthless? Sinner, is thy heart at rest? Is thy bosom void of fear? Art thou not by guilt oppressed? Speaks not conscience in thy ear? Can this world afford thee bliss? Can it chase away thy gloom, flattering, false, and vain it is? Tremble at the worldling's doom. Think, O sinner, on thy end. See the judgment day appear. Thither, thither, it's always a fun word, must thy spirit wend. There thy righteous sentence hear. There's that righteous, just and right, that God is righteous. He's just and right against our sin. This is a a hymn of warning. But then he says this, and I want us to hear us in this. Wretched, ruined, helpless soul to a Savior's blood apply. He alone can make thee whole. I love this line. Fly to Jesus, sinner. Fly. Kind of makes Gandalf's words, right? When he's talking to the the council, I don't know what it's called, the committee, the fellowship of the rings people. And as he's fighting that big thing in the cave, I'm clearly not a huge fan. Of, I mean, I, I like the, the books and I've seen the movies, but again, off though, he's hanging on the edge, right? And he says, fly, you fools, right? And then, and then he falls and then somehow lives. Kind of takes new meanings, right? Fly, fly, you fools, fly to Jesus, sinner, Fly. He is the God of my righteousness. He has to be. Well, I'm worthless. I'm helpless. The rest of that hymn was about what the rest of the psalm is talking about. Tremble, fight sin, and do not sin. Rage against your sin. And then he says this, the end of verse 4, Meditate in your heart upon your bed, and be still. Selah. Meditate in your heart, on your bed. Meditate on God. Meditate on his word. Meditate on his righteousness. There's so many times where I lay in bed, and again, I have such a hard time falling asleep because I'm just, my mind is just going. It's just going and going and going. I'm, I'm worried about things. I'm, I'm worried about, about us, about our church. I'm worried about COVID. I'm worried about how are we going to reopen? When are we going to reopen? Is anyone even going to show up if we reopen? Uh, well, what's even going on? Are we going to get other people sick if we reopen? It doesn't stop. It doesn't shut up. It doesn't turn off. Not the voices. Those those are always always talking. Just kidding. Meditate on God, on his word, on his righteousness, upon your bed, and be still. Verse 5. It's interesting that something's going to shift here. Right? Because now he's, he's talking about my, my God of my righteousness. I'm now going to talk about... Am I, am I fighting sin? Am I raging against my own sin? But then after that, after he is the God of my righteousness, then he says this, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. 
God is my righteousness through Christ and through the gospel, which I've explained that that righteousness of God is revealed through the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, then we perform sacrifices of right and justness. That's when we do it. We don't perform sacrifices of righteousness in order to become righteous and just. Nothing I did could ever atone. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. I have no righteousness of my own. I have to get that from God through Christ. But now that I'm here, now that I'm saved and I'm declared righteous, now we can offer sacrifices to God, to a watching world. So what does that look like? Individually, that could mean a lot of things. What would it mean for me to sacrifice in the name of rightness and justice? Individually, it could mean a lot of different things. Corporately, it's my job as your pastor to help shepherd us and lead us into that way to say, these are the things that we're going to be doing. As we talk about racial uh, injustices and things that are going on in our society right now, we want to do this. And yet again, when we talk about that, that arc of Jamar Tisby and, and Paul and Josh have both uh, spoken on this, and we're going to continue to talk about this. This isn't going away. That we want to stand up as a church. And so what, what is it that we can do? Right now, we're, we're, we're becoming more aware and sitting in this, and we're becoming more aware, but there will be a time, and soon, where we will move forward, not, not stopping to listen, always going to listen, always becoming more aware, but moving towards commitment and making those sacrifices of just rightness corporately. And then when that happens, we can be satisfied. Now that's that's what this last part of this, verses 6 through 8, are talking about, just satisfaction. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Right? The outside world is watching us, and they're saying, wow, church, you're going to try to do something now? Wow, church, you've been pretty racist for a very long time. Oh, wait, forever. And now, all of a sudden, you want to try to fix this? Who will show us any good? And it doesn't just obviously just have to be about racism. This could be about everything about feeding the poor, providing for the homeless in our community, all those different things that we want to be able to do. Many are saying, who will show us any good? And then this prayer, David's prayer, our prayer should be, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. God, give us wisdom, light the path, light the way. What are the sacrifices that we ought to be making in, in righteousness? You have put gladness in my heart. Right, and looking at everything around us in the world and the turmoil, you've put gladness in my heart. More than when their grain and their new wine abound, even when there's people just having a good time and all that, and yep, you're having fun. Do you have the joy of the Lord? It's a real thing to be satisfied completely in God and the freedom that we have in Christ. And then he says this in peace. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, knowing that, God, you are the God of my righteousness, that I can't do anything to earn your righteousness. And yet you're going to light up the path. You're going to help me determine what I ought to do now that I am righteous, now that I am a follower of Jesus. What can I do to help those around me? What can I do to point people to you and to your son and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he says, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. One of my 
one of the, one of the most powerful verses to me and why I am um, someone who believes quite heavily and strongly in the sovereignty of God is this idea of sleep is the idea of rest. And in Mark chapter four, Jesus says this in verse 26, he said this also, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though. He does not know how. That when I share the gospel, whether that's with a friend, whether it's with a neighbor, whether it's with a family member, whether it's just on this, I know that it's only up to the Holy Spirit to convict. It's up to the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to, to go into the joints and the marrow of a human being's soul and convict them. That I can't say the right words. I can't put the right spin on it. That when somebody rejects Christ in my face, that I can't lay in bed and worry and wonder, oh, what if I would have said this differently, if I would have done this differently? It's not up to me. I sow the seed and I sleep. I go to bed. How's it grow? I have no idea. But what I do know is it's up to God. But now I got to share. I got to spread the gospel. I have to offer sacrifices of righteousness. Is that going to bear any fruit? Is that going to grow? Is it going to, I don't know. But I can sleep. That's what we're called to do in peace. I will both lie down and sleep. 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and the head and the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the right grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. In application, just a couple questions. First one is, God is God the source of your righteousness? Or are you? And we, we can talk about that big picture, right? We can talk about that salvation, right? Believing in the gospel that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. We can talk about that. But I, I mean that, though, more on an individual basis on a daily, on a daily meditation, on a moment to moment meditation. Is God the source of my righteousness? Or do I have this fleeting thought of if I just do this thing, God will love me more. If I just, is God the source of my righteousness or am I? And then finally, will you rest in the finality of the cross? It is finished. And the gladness of the righteousness that we have in Christ. Can you rest in that? That tonight when your mind, when, you, when your head hits your pillow and, and things are just going and going and going, you're just hearing it, right? Your ears are just throbbing from the anxiety and the pressure that you feel. Will you just stop and meditate on God's word and rest in the peace? I will both lie down and sleep. Selah, just rest, just stop. Let's just stop. In a moment, as we take communion, we're actually going to be singing that song, uh, Grace Alone. And in there, just it's this phrase, right? He, he addresses the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and he talked to the, I had no righteousness on my own. God of my righteousness. 
So you bow your head and pray with me and then want to do a time of communion, reflection, worship. And then uh, again, I have an important announcement at the end, so um, stick around for that, okay? Let's pray. Father, you're good. You are the God of our righteousness. And that through your Son, we are able to obtain that righteousness, that right standard, because not of anything that we can do or anything that we've done, but all because of what he's done. And so, God, in light of that, would you help us, convict us, motivate us to offer sacrifices of righteousness back to you? That this is for your honor, for your glory, not for us, not for our fame, not for our church, not for our growth, none of that. This is for your honor and your kingdom and your glory forever and ever. And so would your spirit then come, would to help us, enable us, shine your light and light up your countenance in our presence and give us wisdom in all these big decisions that we're making as a church and as a community, as your bride, that you would always remain the head, not us, not our desires, but you would be um, in charge of where we're headed. So God, would you come now? Would you be in our presence? Would you be with us as we take our, our communion, take these elements to remember what it is that Christ has done for us, of giving us our righteousness as he takes our shame and our guilt upon himself in that great, great exchange. And it's in his most precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.